Hello, and welcome to the Well Travel Podcast. My name is Virginia Stewart Taylor, and alongside my full time job, I'm a travel blogger and the founder of the WellTraveledPostcard.com. I've travelled to over 65 countries and I've amassed over 500 blog posts full of travel, itineraries, tips, and advice. This podcast, the Well Travelled Podcast, is a weekly spotlight on the hot topics in travel and the most essential travel advice to help and inspire you to travel and explore the world. Thanks for joining. Today's episode of the Well Travel Podcast is the second in the series, and it's on why we feel compelled to travel, and also how this changes throughout our lifetimes as we go through different life stages, uh, we have different amounts of spare time, uh, disposable income, or other commitments that restrict or encourage us to travel. While I realise that different people have different appetites for travel, some don't like going abroad at all, um, and some people have other priorities, other hobbies, I'm fairly sure that if you're listening to this podcast, you probably count yourself among those people that do like to travel and do feel compelled to and sometimes sort of wonder, what is it? Is it travel? Is it wanderlust? Um, what, what is it? Why do we Why do we travel? So this podcast aims to answer that with this specific group of people in mind. And I'll be mostly referring to the contexts I know. So I've grown up in the UK um, and the culture around travel does differ a lot by country, even in you know Western countries. For example, in the US, they have, I think, 10 working days a year of annual leave. And their geography makes it very difficult for them to travel abroad. Um, for short periods of time compared to people who live in Europe where the distances are much smaller and uh, in countries where there is a much more annual leave standard allowance. So I think in the UK it's about 25 days. So that's a dramatic difference. I think another big cultural difference which can impact people's desire and ability to travel is the culture around taking gap years or sabbaticals. So in the UK, it's very much encouraged for um, 18 year olds to take a year between school and university to either work or go and travel. And that encouragement matters hugely, because if you see people around you, role models, other people doing it, you feel a lot more empowered to go and do that same thing yourself. And if that just doesn't exist in a context like Italy, I know it's not really a thing there either, then it's very hard to break the mould and be that one person that does, because you're not sure what impact that might have on how people view your CV, for example. So this blog post is mainly going to talk about people in the UK, um, or at least the context in the UK. So without further ado, let's jump into today's podcast on why we feel compelled to travel. If you ask anyone around you for a list of their passions, what do they really, really love to do? I'm guessing that a large portion of people will include travel in their list of passions because who doesn't love to go on holiday, um, take a break from, from normal life and escape reality a bit? But why is it that we are all so addicted to travel? Why do we save up our precious earnings for months and months on end in order, in order to afford long-haul flights? And why do we count down the days until our next holiday? You might have heard of the reports that some scientists have apparently discovered a wanderlust gene that supposedly explains why certain people can't sit still and why they were born to roam the planet in search of novelty and adventure. So this gene, um, which is for those who are in the know, called DRD47R, um, is apparently dubbed the wanderlust gene because of its correlation with increased levels of curiosity and restlessness. 
But apparently there is also a big history of people who have this gene also sharing a common theme of having a large, a good history of travel. Um, and it's apparently possessed by about 20% of the population. But there is a much higher prevalence of the gene in places of the globe where travel has been encouraged in the past. So this brings up a question. Is a passion for travel a question of nature or nurture? Is it actually societal influences and marketing, sort of clever marketing campaigns from the huge travel industry that impose this desire to travel on us? Or is it a genetic characteristic that, you know, runs through our family trees? What do you think? On the nurture side of the argument, there is definitely a large travel marketing industry with concepts such as bucket lists being a major influencer um, and also the concept of FOMO, so the fear of missing out. So can I really claim that my passion for travel just you know, courses through my veins, it's in my genes, and that I really remain completely impervious to advertising? So I definitely succumb to a clever marketing campaign just as much as the next person. And I do add countries to my wish list after seeing, you know, a stunning video, reading an excellent article on a particular destination. I know that documentaries, films, they all have a role in deciding where I want to travel to. Um, But am I also influenced by the travels of my peer group and by the expectations of society? Well, of course I am. And I don't think anyone can say they aren't. They don't, no one lives in a bubble. No one lives on an, an island of one. And as much as I'd hate to admit that I'm a product of my surroundings or, you know, a sheep, I think it's the truth. I think it's the same for everyone. And I would like to think that I'd break out of a certain mould, um, that I do travel, you know, a bit more than the, the standard person um, and do think, you know, with an independent brain. But I'm aware that my travel, does, my travel wish list does comprise a few items that I've probably picked up from other people. On my blog, The Well Travel Postcard, I did write a wish list, a travel wish list uh, for me to complete before I turned 30. And this was a big uh, challenge, sort of effort. I wanted to push myself to travel to as many of these places as possible before my 30th birthday last year. And I actually haven't published my next travel wish list following that. Um, But it's a good thing, a good example to use. So One of the examples on my travel wish list was an elusive trip to Ibiza that I was desperately trying to organise for quite a few years. And I'm sure I would have lived perfectly happily after if I'd never visited that particular island in the Mediterranean. I mean, I've spent enough time in the Mediterranean anyway. Um, But I knew that doing Ibiza uh, was something that everyone my age, uh, everyone my generation was raving about. So I too was desperate to do Ibiza. And that's a classic case of FOMO, so fear of missing out. Um, and that was shaping my aspirations and identifying my generation as one that doesn't want to be left out of anything. So this phenomenon of bucket lists is a perfect example of this. And think of some of the, some of the items on my future bucket list, things I haven't yet done. So I would love to do the Trans-Siberian Railway across Russia. I'd also love to walk some of or all of the Camino de Santiago or a similar kind of Um, really really long kind of weeks and weeks weeks long hike and those things are probably not just born out of my own imagination and curiosity they're because I've seen other people do them and I thought wow that looks that looks amazing I'm not a huge fan of the word bucket list because I think it 
refers back to the idea that you kick the bucket and you die. And I don't really like thinking of death, <laughs> to be honest. So I prefer to call it my travel wish list. And yeah, this is definitely borrowed from Instagram feeds, um, from other bloggers' bucket lists, people I follow. And although my bucket list probably isn't the same as anyone else's, it is probably unique in terms of it'll have a different combination of different interests, but it is definitely influenced by the people around me. So how about the fact that in my generation, at least, there has been a definite move away from material possessions to experiences, forming the new social capital. So why do so many of us feel compelled to travel instead of doing you know, a traditional hobby like playing an instrument, shopping um, or decorating our house? So our generation of millennials are noticeably more driven by experiences than by material possessions, which was definitely a characteristic of the generation before us. We're spending more and more of our disposable income on experiences and travel than ever before. And I think we can deduce um, the new material possessions of our generation from this motto. If it's not on the gram, it didn't happen. So this is the idea that you need to take a photo of it for it to really exist. And photos of, place, of places we travel to become the new um, social capital. And look in the meteoric rise in popularity of Instagram. And also, you know, things like GoPro cameras as well. So everyone, every Jack and Jill, definitely including me, is recording and snapping their exploits and adventures. An enviable Instagram feed is the new social capital and it's replaced, you know, the latest handbag or sports car, um, which would have previously been the main aspirations of Generation X before us. And I think it's a fascinating societal shift and a good one in my mind. Travel is, after all, the only thing you buy which makes you richer. And when I meet someone new, for example, I'm far more interested in finding out where they have traveled to and what they like to do rather than checking out what brands they're wearing. So we're choosing to collect memories rather than material objects. And I think that's fantastic. So what else is it that compels us to travel? Surely the things I've mentioned only apply to me or people very similar to me in you know, in age, gender, background, location and education. But what about the way travel has changed in meaning for me throughout my lifetime? I haven't always thought about travel in the way that I do now. So what is the life cycle of a traveller? Everyone's travel biography is different and will have led them to a different relationship with travel. But I'll try and give a pretty standard example of my own lifestyle of a traveller and try and think about people in my position. So generally millennials, living in the UK, employed... Um, but I appreciate this might not might not fit for everyone. So from not to five years old, okay, until a child is five, they might not really travel abroad if their parents are going on grown-up holidays without them and leaving children with their grandparents. This definitely happened to me. I didn't really go abroad a huge amount. And then uh, the child, when it's sort of between five and ten, will probably start travelling a few times a year to nearby countries. So typically France, for example, if they grew up in the UK. They might spend a week skiing if their family are into that and maybe a week on the coast. I was really lucky to grow up with a tiny, tiny little wooden family um, chalet in France uh, on the coast, on the southwest coast of France, where I spent the rest of my summers aged until about 10. So very kind of low admin for my parents to have to deal with, um, just going back to the same place again and again. Not terribly adventurous, I have to say. Very pretty, very nice. 
in the sort of 10, from 10 to 18, at this point, the parents are starting to consider going on more cultural holidays. And thinking that this child is now going to be remembering these trips, so it might be worth investing in venturing further afield during their teenage years. And this certainly happened to me. I got a little bit bored of going back to the same place again and again. And I wanted to kind of see a few more cultural places. I definitely remember trips to Rome and Barcelona um, and really loving city breaks at that age. And there are probably a couple of school trips abroad, if you're lucky. Um, I definitely did language exchanges to Salamanca in Spain. Some people might have sports tours. And then you turn 18 and you leave school. So let's imagine we're in the UK and an 18-year-old has the option to take a gap year. So, which is, you know, the option I took, obviously. Um, So let's imagine uh, that this person takes a gap year and backpacks around somewhere like South America or Southeast Asia, or they interrail around Europe on a shoestring. So they're very much traveling on a budget, um, but for a long period of time, for extended long-term travel. Coming back from that gap year, from the ages of about 19 to 22, studying at university, um, if that person's getting into higher education, like like I did, um, will probably involve some very budget weekend trips to cities like Amsterdam and Prague, probably some festivals, some places around Europe. Um, And then this could be mixed in with some nicer, more sophisticated family holidays outside of term time, if your parents are still keen to keep keep paying basically (laughs) and not everyone will have this but um you know you might do a third year abroad where you're studying or working or teaching abroad and probably this is again on a shoestring but it you're at least living in one place for several months and integrating into local life and while and while you're doing that you might also be taking weekend trips around europe to, to explore as much as possible I'm really enjoying um, the experience that is Erasmus. I did a third year abroad. I went to Cordoba in Spain for six months to study, which I absolutely adored. I think it was the most fun period of my life ever, uh, mingling with so many different nationalities and, um, and studying, so having slightly fewer responsibilities in life. I then moved to Modena in Italy to do a six-month unpaid internship at Armani, which was also really fun for the weekend trips around Italy, um, less fun for the sort of unpaid nine-to-five, that was pretty harsh, but really formative experiences of living abroad um, at a really young age. Then after university, so between sort of 23 and 30, um, you know, if you follow what I did, I moved to a city um, I moved to London to find work and a lot of people will be looking for work and then if they're lucky might even start to enjoy traveling in business class Um, so going to airport lounges being able to expense their their meals and their hotels you're staying in slightly nicer hotels and even if you know you're not traveling for work you're gonna you're not gonna give up traveling you've got you know your precious annual leave to relax and enjoy and explore so um, as you get into your sort of later 20s, you've finally got some disposable income to spend on more upmarket travel, but you're also juggling a finite amount of annual leave. And the challenges of organising holidays around everyone's busy schedules in amidst, you know, growing numbers of hen parties and weddings. And if you're in the millennial age bracket, then you probably have quite a few friends who have moved abroad. So places, big international cities like San Francisco or New York, Sydney, Dubai, Singapore, Hong Kong. I know I have um, quite a few friends who've, who've done that. So you might get those itchy feet in the background as well to move abroad. Does any of this sound familiar? 
And the interesting thing for me is that this person, you know, my travel taste or this person, their travel tastes have changed dramatically over the years and probably more than their taste in food, their taste in music um, or their personality have changed. Do you agree? I find the life cycle of a traveller phenomenally interesting. A backpacker who swore an oath of allegiance to hostels just, you know, three, four years ago could then find themselves flying in business class for work and staying in boutique hotels on weekend city breaks, dining in Michelin-star restaurants, for example. And that is a big evolution to go through. So why this dramatic, drastic shift? Easy. A hard-working, rush-hour, commuter, desk slave doesn't have the time to then pick up a backpack and slum it for a long weekend or a one-week holiday. They want a rest and they deserve a treat for slaving away in suit and tie, so they develop a taste for the finer establishments. And the timeline I just ran through only extends until someone's early 30s, which is, you know, where I am now. I'm now 30. So what happens then? So from 30 to 40, you know, with a few variations, um, I think the whole cycle probably begins again with staycations for toddlers and family holidays to nearby countries, sticking to child friendly um, venues, but, you know, possibly also quite culture free venues, quite culture free locations as well. Because suddenly this person is no longer paying for just themselves. They're paying for a whole family's flights. So the budget will probably shrink again. And then in the 40s, so from 40 to 50, once a child's age reaches double digit digits, um, the, you know, the family holidays are going to probably hopefully get a bit more exciting again. Venturing slightly further long haul, being more active, so potentially going skiing and holidaying with friends. And the trips also probably start costing much, much more. And then 50 plus, the children have finally flown the nest and this person can start taking a few more luxurious trips abroad, even travelling for weeks or months at a time once they retire. And their plans may well start to revolve entirely around their travels. They might even emigrate to a sunny beach or, if they're really lucky, buy a second home. Although I am 30, I don't think I've reached any of the last three life stages. (laughs) I don't know how accurate they are or how much I can really comment on them. It's just my, sort of my best guess. However, if I think about myself in, you know, five, ten years' time, I'd like to think of myself as being an adventurous mother who, who takes her children all over the world, showing them both beauty and ugliness, poverty and wealth, natural landscapes and huge cities, hostels and luxury hotels, to give them as broad a view of the world as possible. I don't know if you ever bumped into a young Western family staying in a hostel in a developing country, but I always thought they looked like the coolest families and I really envied those children for the life skills they were developing at such a young age. So what about my motivations for travel and where I am right now? So in each of those life stages I've already mentioned, our motivations for travel are different, whether it's to learn a new skill on a school trip or to go through a rite of passage by backpacking for months on end, or to make roots in a different culture by living abroad, or to get a taste of the good life in staying in sort of luxury hotels, or whether that's to, you know, relax and detox from work, or to go wild with friends and leave your inhibitions at home at festivals, or just experience somewhere new and expand your horizons just because you can. I've experienced many of those stages but I've got a lot left to experience and I can't talk to those personally but I would have thought that by now by 30 my passion for travel might have diminished or might have changed you know 18 year old me was very very different from who I am now both in terms of personality and ambitions and you know hopes and dreams 
but that passion for travel just hasn't disappeared. I, I kind of thought that when I took on travel inhibiting commitments, such as working full time, that I would just find other interests or distractions. Maybe I would take up baking. I don't know. Um, but that hasn't happened. And sometimes I do wish that my passion for travel would actually take a break so that I could just be really happy and satisfied with the present where I am right now um, and living in the present and appreciating it instead of eternally dreaming and, and plotting my future travels, which is something I'm very guilty of. You know, I don't like to come back from a trip without having the next one already booked. And right now in particular, I'm in that life stage still where I'm squeezing as much travel as possible into my 28 days of annual leave, while secretly envying everyone who's living abroad and, and quenching that thirst to travel that way. But I happen to live in London, which is one of the coolest cities on the planet. It's also where a lot of my friends happen to be. And I, yeah, I like it. I'm happy there for the time being. And work is a good distraction. I enjoy it. But I think my anxiety about wanting to travel comes from not having a, a specific plan to move abroad yet. I've lived abroad in quite a few different countries in Europe, so in Spain and Italy, in the Netherlands and Sweden, and for short stints as well in Nepal and Chile. And I find that that is when I'm at my happiest. So while I'm committed to staying in London in the you know the short term I've actually just got a new job um, in the civil service I do really still want to move abroad that hasn't disappeared so yeah we'll have to see what happens I've been back in the UK now living in the UK living in London for just over two and a half years now which is the longest time I've ever been in London in one go I've always come and gone come and gone come and gone so I feel like I've slightly overcome my short-termism and my my sort of wanderlust to constantly move in the sh but but I do still have that burning desire to go abroad although without a fixed timeline of when that will happen so that's the stage of the traveler's life cycle that I'm in um and that's what's compelling me to travel so it's a mix of seeing amazing places um in the media, from my friends' Instagram accounts, from people I admire and inspire me. It's a mix of my own desire to follow my own passions. So I, for example, love European culture. I just find myself exceptionally happy whenever I'm <laughs> surrounded by, um, you know, when I'm in an Italian town and I'm listening to the language or seeing elements of, you know, Spanish culture or just trying something new. Another part of what influences my own travel preferences is that I like to be active. So I really enjoy hiking. Um, I've done quite a bit of sort of mountain climbing in the last few years, um, climbing um, Mont Blanc, well, attempting to <laughs> in 2017. So I re definitely find I'm really enticed by active challenges in my travels as well. Um, but yes, I'm yearning for a longer, longer trip. I've always, always wanted to do a six-month trip around South America. And I am planning, you know, some point in the next five, ten years to do another sabbatical. Um, I would really love to have that opportunity. I, I just don't see it happening anytime soon. As I said, I've just started a new job. But I, I can still dream. I can still start planning. Um, so, yeah. What do you think travel means for you at this stage of your life? And how do you think that has changed? What's your what next? Um, do you have any, you know, dreams? What's on your what's on your travel wish list, for example? 
And how much do you identify with the life cycles I've outlined here? Um, does any of that kind of resonate? Or can you see, for example, the priorities for millennials in gaining experiences over material possessions and this idea that travel photos are actually the new social capital? What do you think? I'd love to hear, so please do get in touch. So that's it for today's episode of the Well Travel Podcast. We discussed why we feel compelled to travel and also the changing meaning of travel throughout different life stages. So first of all, we discussed the wanderlust gene, whether that really exists or whether our travel urges are actually down to clever marketing. And we also looked at the generational shift from desiring um, material possessions to experiences with travel being the new social capital. After that, we discuss the different life stages people go through and how their travel tastes change over time, right from birth right up to retirement. And looked a bit about the life stage I'm in now currently um, and what I'm planning on doing next. It's a good topic to grapple with early in the podcast, as later in the series I'll be looking at a lot more specific types of travel and things that you can do while travelling, and how to make travel more accessible, for example. So I think working out our, our purpose and our intentions and what's behind our desire to travel is actually quite important to, make us, um, to help us understand who we are as travellers, what our travel preferences are, and our travel tastes. Thank you for joining today's episode. And if you're interested in finding out more on the topic, you can visit my blog, thewelltravelpostcard.com and sign up to receive new posts by email. Also, make sure to subscribe to the Well Travel podcast to hit all the latest episodes and follow me on Instagram and Twitter at vstuarttaylor. I'd love to hear your thoughts, so do rate and review the Well Travel podcast and get in touch with comments and the topics you'd like to hear discussed in future. Look out for next week's episode. Until next time.